invite you to remain standing for the reading of our gospel passage this morning. It is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Here now I'm reading the good news. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall, not love, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as we are trying to close out this uh, sermon series five, as we kind of made our way through um, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, we arrived here in the last um, 17, 18 verses, and, and it kind of begins to kind of collapse in on itself, and we've been looking at peace and peace and peace, and now, now chapter 5 is laid out in front of us, and it kind of reminds me of, um, on, our, on, on our table, we have a table in our living room, and our daughter came home for Christmas, and this, this was over, you know, well over a month ago. And someone had given her a jigsaw puzzle, 1,000 pieces. And now there's a partially started jigsaw puzzle on this table in our house. I didn't know, I didn't know, I, when, I, when I first walked in there, I didn't know we had a jigsaw puzzle. I've never been a, a big fan of jigsaw puzzles or board games or anything like that. Anything that makes me think and makes me feel silly, I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. But I found myself sitting there on the sofa in front of this table trying to put these little tiny pieces of puzzles together without knowing what the picture is. Because I didn't see where the box of the puzzle came in. And so I'm looking at this, this, this array of, well, pieces look very much the same and with different colors.
dollars, and I'm thinking, this is this is not going so well. And so I looked around and I, and I found the box, and and I looked at the picture, and I said, this this isn't going. This is ridiculous. But I sat there anyway for a few minutes, or half an hour, or whatever it was, trying to put the pieces in. And I began to be able to kind of fit. Okay, this is, over here is an ornament that looks like Santa Claus. And so I'm pulling all the pieces that have red or, or, or Santa Claus, and I'm trying to put, put that, work on that one little part. And this whole process of being able to see what the little pieces are supposed to make of the big pieces, of, of the big picture, that's a that's very helpful, right? And we do that all the time. So if we, we say it. Well, just take a step back. You've run into an issue, a problem. Take a step back and take a bigger view. That's what I want us to do today. As we think about chapter 5 of Matthew. We, you know, we've made our way through this very important um, chapter. A chapter, we, as we have mentioned uh, past couple of weeks, this is chapter 5. It's 5 through 7 of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. And again, I want to revisit this because it's important for us to keep all of this in mind. All these little puzzle pieces. Jesus has, has been teaching and word has spread and people are interested and they are curious and they are gathering because they want to see this rabbi, this healer, this teacher, this prophet, whoever this man is, they want to see, they want to hear, they want to touch, they want to be touched. And so they bring their sick, they bring the ill, they bring everyone who needs some form of wholeness from all over. And Jesus is traveling, preaching and teaching and healing. And he looks around and he sees his crowds have gathered. And we're told he makes his way up this mountain and he sits down and his disciples come and gather around him, his disciples. It may be the twelve. It may be 20, maybe 70. We don't know. But he sits down and the, and the disciples gather around him. And the, and, the, and the gospel says he opens his mouth and he begins to teach. And those crowds are there. And they're listening. They're overhearing. Out of curiosity. Out of need. Out of hurt. And want. And Jesus teaches. And the first thing he opens up with are the Beatitudes. These powerful phrases that they put a completely different spin on the understanding of what it means to be blessed. If God has blessed you, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And Jesus has taken that cultural understanding and has turned it upside down and offers this incredible series of blessings for those who hurt, for those who mourn, for those who grieve, for the meek, for the peacemakers. This is different. This doesn't sound like what we're used to. And then when he closes out this beatitude section in verse, in verse um, 12, he moves right into this statement, this short paragraph, where he says, I did not come to change the law or to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Not one iota, not one little scribble of the law will change until all have been fulfilled. It's not abolished. It's not why I'm here. I'm here to fulfill it. 
And then he offers this one little quirky little phrase, this one little puzzle piece. And he says, be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Exceed their righteousness. It's almost offhand and almost in passing. I didn't come to abolish the law. And by the way, let your righteousness, let your justice, let your understanding of equity exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. Then he goes on to teach. Again, it's almost like this throw-off, but it's not. Everything that we have in the gospel is important. This little phrase is, is capturing the next set of teachings all the way to the end of this chapter. It frames it. It gives us another outline of the next puzzle piece. And as this incredible, powerful teaching of three chapters, five through seven, begin to take shape. As we step back, we can then begin to see what Jesus is talking about. The bigger picture, the deeper picture. So let your righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 20. And in 21, he launches into these six antitheses. Where he says, you, it is, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, where he talks about <clears throat> not so much the opposite or an oppositional statement of, of a cultural understanding of the understanding of the laws, but it's a deeper understanding. He kind of elaborates, delves a little deeper into what the laws mean. What's the intent of the law? Murder, do not, you shall not murder. That's, that's the extreme behavior. Don't reach that point, Jesus says. But check your anger. If you check your anger, if you live with right relationships and healthy relationships with one another, you won't arrive at this point of wanting to kill someone. And we don't have to worry about you shall not kill, you shall not murder. That's the extreme. That's the extreme line of that jigsaw puzzle piece. But underneath it is God's intent that we live in healthy relationships with God and with one another. And that will help hold our anger in check. And that takes us all the way through this this last verse that we find in chapter 5. In verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now imagine sitting there as a disciple or standing on the, on the perimeter of this classroom overhearing what Jesus is telling his students. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's alarming. That, that sounds like crazy talk. That jigsaw piece, but that's not even, that piece isn't even in the jigsaw, but that's not even a box. How does that happen? This is a stretch. How can we, how, how, does that, how does he expect us to do that? How can he expect anyone to be perfect like God is perfect? And the truth is, if we did it on our own, it is impossible. We can't. 
absolutely impossible. But to understand what he means by perfect, we have to read that paragraph again and read it in light of the rest of chapter 5. Remember those Beatitudes. Remember going deeper into the laws about the intent behind the law, underneath the law, holding up the law. It's the will of God for right, proper, healthy relationships with God and with one another. And being blessed in ways that seem counterintuitive. Here now, reading, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this puzzle we're dealing with, this idea of perfection... Christian church has dealt with perfection, has tried to understand perfection. Some have, have suggested that this perfection is like a goal. It's like a carrot that it's, it's encouraging us, uh, inviting us to take the next step towards perfection. I don't know. Some have suggested that there is this spiritual perfection that we can attain. Or a perfection that's beyond this life. And John Wesley has argued that there is spiritual, that, that perfection is about love. We are perfect in love. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be. Perfect in love, deriving in part from these verses we've just read. And of course, John Wesley is right. But I want to push further. I want to push a little deeper on this notion of perfection and say, yes, it is indeed about love, but it goes deeper than the act or the choice or the ethic of loving. If we go back to the beginning, back to Genesis, back to the creation of the world, and back to God breathing life into humanity, we go back to the Imago Dei, to the simple and challenging truth that we, that is humanity, is created in the image of God. We would have to recognize and admit that Jesus' teaching from the Beatitudes through these six antitheses and that Jesus teaching on the presentation of this kind of love is that stretch. Is that impossible? But that is exactly what Jesus models for us through his life, through his teaching, through his passion, and in his death. This love this understanding of God and our relationship to God and to our neighbor is counter to what we typically find in the world. It is counter to what we typically find ourselves living. This image, this image of perfection and its meaning is literal. Jesus is literally talking about 
the incarnation of God, living in the world, loving in the world, loving those who love, loving those who hate, loving those who are like God and loving those who are not. And we are called to be God's children. We are created in God's image. And in that creation, in that breath, we are called to love the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust, our friends and our enemies, those who are like us and those who are not. And when we do that, when we get underneath what's girding the wall, it's love, it's grace. And that's our call. To live lives of love and grace. And when we do that, when we, when we follow Jesus' call, and we find ourselves following His teaching, there on that mountainside at His feet, and then walking down that mountain and find ourselves walking all the way to the cross. We find ourselves loving. Loving in ways that are beyond mere behavior or simply an ethic. But loving in a divine way. Because we understand that God has loved us and loves us. And we are his children, representatives of God in the kingdom. And when the crowds experience that kind of love, when they hear and see and taste and feel, they wake up. And the crowds, like the world around us, will overhear us talk to one another in loving ways. The world out there will hear the church love each other by taking care of one another. By offering justice and righteousness and peace to those who are like us and who are not like us. That is our call. And I think that is the big picture of this puzzle that sits on my table. It's the puzzle that sits on the church's table. So take a step back. Take a good look. Because when we love as Jesus loves, we are blessed because Jesus has blessed us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.